What's up and welcome to the Interverse Tribe. Welcome to the one within all. You guys out there getting a special treat of a live stream of one of these shows. We don't usually do that, but I felt like the energy would just be so good to bring it to you live and direct. And one of the things that's really good about this show, or at least we've received a lot of praise about, is our helpful etymological explorations and mythological syncretism that we do through the magic of words. Words have meaning. (laughs) And it seems that a lot of the things that we say, when we go further into the details of the origins of those phonetics, we find that we're actually contradicting ourselves left and right, left against right, and every other which way you might imagine. So today we have got an awesome linguistic expert here today, uh, an author of many books, including one called Word Up, her most recent, I'm pretty sure most recent, a guide, which is a guide to little language hacks for big change. Maybe not your most recent book, <laughs> but she's also a coach who offers services to clients that lead them on a path toward transforming their life to find their ideal timeline engineering word usage to promote health, and as she puts it, all around empowered badassery. And that is, of course, my guest for today, Danny Katz, who you can also find at dannykatz.com, where you'll get the hub of all the things she's up to, including links to places like her Instagram and her locals page where her community convenes. And like every other show, we've got a first hour on the free platforms like YouTube and a second hour that will be exclusive to Rockfin premium members or uploaded later to Patreon for everybody out there that supports me that way. Thank you. Thank you so much to everybody that does support. Also want to point out that if anybody wants to work with me for my tuning sessions using sound and vibration to help you balance your energetic field, the uh, calendar for July is filling up. We're already probably almost three weeks booked out. So if that is something you've been thinking about or on the fence on, let's get in touch. Email me at chance at interversepodcast.com because the month will fill up. And with all that being said, I'm ready to get into it. Let's break it down with the liminal linguist and lexiconal enlightener, Danny Katz. How you doing? Welcome to the show. Hi, Chance. Thank you so much for having me. That was such a stellar introduction. I'm, I'm honored. I'm talking to a wordsmith. I got to do my best, right? (laughs) You rocked it. You knocked it out of the proverbial park. Well, why don't you do your introduction of yourself? Because this is actually our first time really interacting other than on emails. And I've been getting to know you through your show Word Up, which is a lot of fun, many giggles and many profound ponders. But, you know, who are you and where did you come from and how did you get here today? (laughs) Oh, my God. It's so... (laughs) Uh, very, very wide-reaching questions for the uh, Aquarius. <laughs> Where did I come from? I'm guessing a star system far, far, far away. <laughs> but I was that's born how I describe Aquarius is they they aliens. Yeah, I'm from the future, but I was born and raised in Los Angeles. Um, and that's where where I grew up, a very sort of magical, mystical place underneath the like overlay of you know of ridiculousness that it, that is called Hollywood. And um, meandered my way to northern New Mexico, which is where I'm posted now. Well, what got you interested in words? I guess that's a better specific question. <laughs> <laughs> that's helpful. Um, I was always a reader and a writer. Um, as a little, little, little one, I, it was always my preference to be alone and reading. <laughs> Um, so I nerded out really hardcore on words after college, I went to grad school for journalism. Um, and I wrote for the LA weekly for nine years. And that, you know, that was like intense wordplay on the regular because we're working on short deadlines and, you know, my whole career as a journalist, um, I think really helped me dive into a more multidimensional relationship with words because I was working with them so often. And then I had a near-death experience, shamanic initiation around 2007. And through that experience, I found my way to a book called Hidden Language Codes by R. Neville Johnson. And uh, I was reading that book while while paralyzed on my couch for a little while. And in that book, our Neville Johnson talks about being shot point blank in the chest six times and dying. And while he was dead, before they revived him, he um, was given these languaging codes. And after I read the book, um, when I went back to just 
you know, work with words in terms of writing articles and writing stories and whatnot. They started to speak to me in these very layered, multidimensional ways. And I was like, wait, 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 hold up. I'm on a deadline. Like, I don't have time to really engage these, <laughs> these insane ontological conversations with you guys. Um, and after a few years of tugging at me, tugging at me, tugging at me, I realized something something bigger um, with a lot more novelty was inviting me to relate with it. So I delved into word witchery hardcore probably around 2009, 2010. Um, and I've been playing with words in that sort of multidimensional way ever since. Just, you know, not just. And working with them in terms of their energetic frequencies, how their coding is programming us as individuals, our, our collective, our reality construct at large, and then teaching people how to use language to tr- to transform our realities, to change our realities, to heal our bodies, to manifest, to expand, to awaken, all those wonderful things. I love it. I think I've had a similar experience. I'm curious to get into more about like what it feels, you know, <laughs> the irony of, at least in my account of having almost like a linguistic enlightenment, uh, samadhi, temporary one day craziness that took over me and all the words I could just um, all of a sudden feel what letters meant. <laughs> I didn't know, don't know how else to describe it. And uh, ever since then, the codes have been continually revealing themselves to me. So um, I, love that. I love that. I'm not surprised because I feel, you know, we are a collective and I feel like it's just that time where the language is inviting the same sort of upgrade and evolutionary quantum leap that we as humans are being invited to take that, you know, Gaia is being invited to take. So I think a lot of us are tapping into this meta construct and realizing, Oh, our language is outdated and there are a lot of different ways to play with it. Similar as our relationship to time, right? That seems quite outdated as well. Now, would you say that the language itself is outdated or outmoded, or it's really more that the way we're using the language is the issue because a lot of times people will say like English is a slave language and I'm over here like this language has got seeds of all the others almost in across the entire universe of spectrum of words. And if you were actually keen to what the phonetics were telling you, then English would be like the most powerful, magical, you know, amazing language ever. And we could add to it. Neologisms are fun. But, you know, how, how would you address that? You know, do you, when someone says English is a slave language, do you tend to agree or do you think it's more about your own limited understanding and use of it that makes it uh, a slavery operating system? I think it's both. So I agree with you. You know, I think English is whatever we make of it. I do think it's been tainted with enslavement frequencies and codes, which are very easy for us to unravel. Like I wouldn't necessarily throw the baby out with the bathwater. I, I do think it's a beautiful language. Um, the, the one piece that I've yet to really hone in on is if it was always tainted with enslavement codes or if they were, if language, if English was co-opted at some point along the way. Uh, right now, my primary perspective on it, because this is the book that I'm finishing up now that I've been writing for the past two years, is um, where it's like our, our current iteration of English is loaded with a contrived sort of hierarchy. So we hear people who are speaking about equality and inclusivity, but they're speaking about it with a fundamentally hierarchical language. So no, no equality or empowerment is going to come from a language that's already, that is tainted with those frequencies. And it doesn't take creating a whole new language. It's just attuning ourselves to the frequencies, to the languaging habits that are enslaving us, and then switching it up still within, you know, the construct of the English language. So, yeah, I don't think the entire language is an enslavement construct. I think it's um, it's being utilized by the powers that were to enslave us, but it just takes a tiny bit of tweaking for us to use it to liberate ourselves. I see what you did there. You did it just now. The powers that were. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, powers that were is one of my favorites because, you know, a big part of of liberating ourselves with language is understanding how time really works. So a lot of us are under the mistaken impression that time is a linear construct. Probably not anyone who's watching your show, right? But that we don't have 
you know, the luxury of languaging things in the present moment until we've seen evidence in 3D reality, when in fact, that's completely the opposite. We language reality the way we want to see it, and then density will catch up. So when I say the powers that were, I'm choosing to not ratify any of, you know, these beings false power. And I'm choosing to instead put it in the past, which frees us up um, to create reality as we want to now, right? We don't have to wait for something to happen. I've decided <laughs> that I'm no longer buying into their false power. And then the universe, you know, conforms around that languaging, that claim. Yeah, just that one tweak alone, I already see, like, I, I just installed the update, you know, like, that's going to be so helpful. Mission um, accomplished. <laughs> So now I want more, you know, like more examples of that, whether for our personal lives and empowering ourselves or for altering the larger, wider consensus reality dream that we share, which yeah. is really one and the same thing, I guess. Both goals sort of accomplish each other. Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the, you know, really basic tenets of quantum languaging, which is the name of the body of work that I'm unpacking and teaching and sharing in my books and in my courses and all of that is um, language the sucky stuff in the past, right? So, um, you know, historically, I found myself tempted to eat sugar when it wasn't serving me. I used to have, you know, addictive tendencies around caffeine, right? Anything that we don't want to see more of, language it in the past, Right, which frees us up and signals to our subconscious mind and to the reality creation forces, we're available for a new, different experience now. We don't need to carry the same old experience into the future with us. I like that. So to answer my question, instead of giving specific examples, you gave the framework of perspective that allows you to make those updates for yourself by just paying attention to how you speak. Exactly, exactly. And paying attention to how we speak is really the primary piece because the languaging upgrades are really so simple, right? I'm telling you instead of the powers that, that be, the powers that were. That's a super simple concept to grasp. The gist is just being aware enough to hear ourselves and to hear our languaging habits and then to be mindful enough to make the switch before going on that sort of unconscious automatic um inclination to speak the way we used to speak. So it, it really takes a bit of mindfulness. Um, and it's super fun. And it's great when we have support with our community, you know, when the people with whom we spend the most time are attuned to these languaging upgrades, we can learn and master them really easily because we have extra ears on us, you know, to call our attention to when, you know, when we're sort of speaking in the, in our old patterns and then we can quickly make those shifts. Yeah, I appreciate that about this community, the Interverse Tribe. They are quick to point out things, not like in a critical way, but they're just always paying attention as much as uh, I think any community could be. It's awesome. Nice. So one word I want to hone in on would be like quantum, because that gets thrown around. It's a very fuzzy word <laughs> by nature. So when you're talking about quantum languaging, is there any elaboration you can give on why you choose that particular adjective? Yes. Um, and I, you know, I, I definitely received some, I wouldn't say criticism, but friends in the branding world were nudging me to veer away from that. And I have Mercury in the 10th house in Capricorn, which makes me very exacting and precise, you know, so a lot of, you know, for a while it was the language of empowerment or the language of liberation. And quantum is really the just right word because we're dealing with all the different layers and dimensions upon which language is working down to, you know, like the tiniest, most nuanced ways that language is programming us to the sort of grander, more meta. Um, and I do believe that this languaging paradigm, it is an evolutionary communication paradigm. Um, so it, it's specifically meant, I mean, it, everyone get, gets benefit from it, but it's, it's extra helpful for those of us who are walking the transformational path and choosing to consciously evolve ourselves. And I do believe that we are in, um, you know, and I know I'm not alone in this, but we are evolving from a 3D to a 5D experience of reality. 
um, which means moving into the quantum and moving away from the linear and moving away from this sort of like static um, and moving into more realms of like unknown and invisible and multiple layers and being able to change you know, the past by languaging something now, being able to change the future by going back into the past and kind of mixing it all around. So yeah, quantum languaging is what I'm calling it. Okay. So that definitely resonates with the multidimensional idea that rather than being stuck in one, one thing with quantum, you're referring to super positioning in multiple states, not being (laughs) enslaved by a state, which is right there in the external world as much as it is in the way that just certain languages like English, people tend to say, I am sad, I am unhappy, whatever. And in other languages, they might say, I have sadness or I'm having sadness. And so it it doesn't hold on to it or own it or identify with it. It just expresses it, which the expression of which is really helpful and important and healthy. Uh, including, so I guess I want to get your take on this because you don't want people probably to, through their use of being more mindful of language and not policing what they say, but being considerate of what they say, you wouldn't want people to completely reject the shadow, right? Or lose all ability to express difficult emotions. Because in my experience, the throat chakra is like this powerful vehicle through which any other chakra can release things that need to let go of through that. It's uh, and if you don't, (laughs) if you don't wield it that way, you get quite a bottleneck pun intended. Yes. And a beautiful pun. You win the pun award for the moment. (laughs) Um, Yes, and I, I really like the example that you used in terms of quantum, and then I'll, I'll get to the, the next piece of it, is because, yes, when I say, you know, I am sad, I'm communicating my feeling state, and quantum languaging invites us to move beyond just, you know, what's the right word to describe my feeling state, to go into like, well, how is this particular syntax going to program my reality at the same time that I'm communicating to you or to whomever I'm speaking to what I'm feeling, right? So it's inviting us to kind of think of the multiple dimensions at the same time. And that's a really great example because you see how much identification is really tripping us up as a culture right now, right? Um, And how, you know, we have this I am languaging, you know, infusing how we talk about our sun spins, how we talk about our temporary feeling states, how we talk, talk about like, passing experience of, of imbalance or discomfort in the body, as in like, I am arthritic, right? Um, so all of these things are, are ways that we enslave ourselves. But yes, at the same time, we don't want a spiritual bypass. We don't want to cherry Mary sunshine and pretend that there aren't shadows at all. It's just what is the most effective way for me to talk about my shadows that's still going to allow me to be sovereign in how I'm creating my reality, you know? So um, I'm a big fan of like taking the I or the I am out of my communications. Like in the Mayan language, they didn't have an I am verb. That just did not exist for them. Similarly, if you've ever seen Krishnamurti speak, if you've ever watched any of his lectures... So Krishnamurti was in the habit where he he got away from the I am. And in a lot of his lectures, you could hear him still practicing state something with an I am and then catch himself and then restate it mid-sentence, which had a really huge impact on me because I respect him so much. And it was just this beautiful permission of like, oh, he's allowing himself, you know, the process of learning in front of his students. Um and that, that was really beautiful for me as well. But no, we of course we want to own our shadows, but not in, in a way that's going to enslave us to them, victimize us to them, have us languish or carry them into the future. So it's just, you know, like I'm noticing some sadness, not I am sad. I'm a big fan of verbing um, uncomfortable emotions, sensations, experience. So instead of like, I have anxiety, I'm noticing some anxiousing, right? Because when I add the ing, I'm I'm giving it instructions to move, right? I'm putting it in motion. I'm 
instead of inviting it to stick around, if I say I am anxious, right, then it's like I've just given it the key to my house and set it up in the guest room and been like, why don't you unpack and stay a while versus like noticing some anxiousing, then I'm holding it more at a distance. So that's a big part of, of, you know, what I teach is how to not attach to our temporary experiences and to language them in motion, to language them lightly so that they can more freely move and shift. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. Because when you started getting into like reducing the amount of I am languaging, immediately all kinds of like, ah, yes, yes, yes. Ding, ding, ding started happening for me. And I was like, okay, so how would I do that? And your verbing of it is great because what came up for me, I was like, I came up with a solution in language, but it was kind of a mouthful. <laughs> I was thinking like, instead of um, I am sad to say something along the lines of, I invite my body to feel and release sadness, but that is so much to say. I mean, it's great. It's very specific and it would right. work, but <laughs> I'm noticing some sadding. <laughs> yeah, totally. That works awesome. And even like I'm moving through some some saddening, some sadnessing, right? I'm clearing some sadnessing. I'm transmuting some sadnessing, right? Because we have this inclination, I am, I have, right? So I have is going to create a, a looser quantum entanglement than I am, but it's still going to create a quantum entanglement because we're taking possession. So there's going to be some sort of ownership. But when we use verbs, I'm transmuting, I'm dancing with, I'm clearing, I'm moving through some, I'm learning from, right? Again, these verbs that put things in motion, which makes it so that we don't have to stay in these shadowy spaces for any longer than is necessary to mine them for the lessons and integrate. Oh, I think of all of that, I still think noticing takes the cake. And the reason is because you get into the green language of that word. And the very first thing that pops out is I'm not icing such and such. So I'm not freezing up in it. I'm not sticking to it. Like, boom. Ooh, I love that. And you're in the observer state, which is quantum as hell. <laughs> totally. And it's super detached, right? You're, yeah. You're just in that witnessing. I'm noticing there's no, there's no attachment. There's no hook in that. It's very passive. I'm noticing some clouds. You know what else I want to point out, too, is that the idea of reducing I am language, it <laughs> it has some like a bit of a sting to it at first because you're thinking or there's a feeling of um, what about my individuality? What about my I am power? What about this and that? But really, in my experience, uh, metaphysically, the I am is actually pretty equatable in terms of like a, a spiritual I wouldn't say construct, but origin point of, of universe, you know, and self that it's, it's related to, or maybe even is the void, right? So you're, you're letting it be what it is, which is pure undifferentiated potential. Whenever you don't attach anything else to the, I am as little as possible. Right. And that's where that's the zero point back to quantum and ideas of quantum that's where your power is coming from. So if you leave your zero point at zero, then you're always in this uh, pivotal place, <laughs> literally where you can pivot in any direction because you're on a wheel of this, uh, this cosmic egg of zero and void. Exactly. I love that. And I really love the way that you, you phrase that with the zero point. I mean, from my perspective, identification is enslavement. Um, so anything that I am, you know, saying I am is me putting myself in a cage and limiting my experience because anything I am necessarily infers all that I am not. So there's no wrong way. You know, I'm a big proponent of free will. So however anyone wants to play the earth game, you know, respect. We're all making it up for what's right for 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 ourselves as individuals. For me personally, I think it's more fun to unidentify and to be in that void, to be in that zero point and to dance with the mystery and with the unknown. Um, and there's just, there's just more freedom there. You know, anything that we're identified with is going to cause suffering, is going to cause constriction, is going to cause attachment. So 
yeah, I, I'm a proponent of letting go of all of the I am's. And when I'm in the process of manifesting or shifting something, you know, I am a money magnet. I am, you know, uh, a 10 days in the Maldives, you know, like whatever it is, that's a fun way to play, you know, and, and just keeping in mind that this is, this is the Leela. This is the play. This is the game. How do we want to play it? You know, what's going to be the most fun, the most inspiring for our own individual earth walks. I tell people all the time, if it ain't fun, you're not doing it right. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I mean, some people are addicted to sadness and misery and like, that's cool. I guess (laughs) there's a physiological biochemical addiction to those uh, neurotransmitters that come up with those feelings. It's a real thing. Like it's actually addictive, including fear. Fear itself is addictive. It's uh, it's wild, but there's evidence of that in the biggest science. Yeah. I mean, we can see that going on, you know, in terms of, you know, how the sham show is playing itself out and, and how different humans are playing into it and, and just seeing so many people enraged and angry all the time. And I only recently understood like, Oh, that is an addiction. Like, cause part of me is, for the past few years is like, is that fun to be offended all the time? Cause you don't, it doesn't look like you're having all that much fun. You look angry all the time. <laughs> but then I realized, oh, it's an addiction. Okay, got it. <laughs> Wonderful. This has been awesome so far. It's like, wow. Uh, what's popping into my mind repeatedly, though, is the you made some statements about the Astro Logos and your particular sky, co- sky clock. Oh, my God. That's a bad Freudian slip. <laughs> sky clock <laughs> configuration. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. And uh, I'm wondering, so I've been kicking around an idea for a bit. I might have to unpack it for a second. But with this idea of astrology, the archetypes that are in the vault above, uh, I've found that my relationship to inner archetypes is highly malleable. And that as I converse with them, not only are they influential on me, but I'm influential on the archetyping. I mean that in the sense of like that archetypes showing up in the outer world even changes when my relationship to it on the inside changes. That being said, I look at language across the world, history and mythologies and religious traditions, and I see a consistency to the story in all of them. And I talk about it all the time without going too far into like, you know, that's a 20 year talk to just lay out all the consistencies. But the point being, there's like two scenarios, either an original civilization or cult or culture seeded all these areas of the world or influenced in them, influenced them in some way, or that Astro Logos is part of the makeup of this consensus reality and people are finding it everywhere they are, no matter where they are, including through phonetical uh, inspiration. And so the question becomes, with all that laid out, are... Does our experience of how the Zodiac reflects our life, I won't say influences it, I see it as pure reflection, you know, it's a two-way street. Um, Is that something that you think would change if we just one day rewrote the story and wiped, scrubbed everyone's brains clean of the old sky clock story and did something different? Or do you think because it's also encoding the story of nature and the seasons that um, it's not really... Uh, <laughs> it's not really as made up as it might seem to somebody who looks at astro- astrology with uh, un- uninitiated eyes. That was a lot to, to throw at you. It was great. That was a great question. Um, yeah, I want to, I want to take some psychedelics and like spend 10 hours unpacking that with you. <laughs> um, I feel we might like- come out the other side with entirely different uh, constellations in the sky and be like, what did we do? <laughs> That would be awesome. So I have mixed feelings about it. You know, I've been um, an amateur student of astrology for, you know, many, many an eon. And I've taken great comfort in it because it allows me to unidentify and to not get all tripped up in my individuality and realizing, oh, like I'm a meat suit that's programmed by the archetypes coming through my cosmic blueprint. And I'm just playing out this unique configuration during this earth walk. Um, And to be clear, like 
I don't know any of it. Like I'm a monkey with a 3D mind, you know, and I don't think any of us really understands the entire scope of the game. And the more that I learn about it, the less I realize I know. So, um, but then there's like this story about the moon, right? And Steiner's perspective is that the moon is a satellite that used to be inside the earth, right? And then it like kind of God sent it out outside of the earth and then it died and it's like this dead thing out there right so then I always wonder well then how does that relate with our astrology but then how many thousands of years have we been imposing these myths and stories upon the moon which creates a collective agreement which is really I think all our our construct is really comprised of is agreement you know and i I'm curious to know if that extends to things like gravity, to things like um, impermanence and mortality, you know? So I think that there's. I On the mortality question, I mean, there's a reason I think that those uh, 500 year old Taoist wizards hang out in the mountains and avoid populated areas like they, you know, they don't want to be. Toxified by other people's belief that, hey, you can't do that. Totally. Yeah. So I think that, um, I think it's probably both, you know, I think I respect astrology and I respect, you know, those who came before and recorded their observations and passed them to us and, you know, all, all that it helps me to, you know, grok and understand about my fellow humans and my earth walk and transits and whatnot. But at the same time, yes, we just changed our stories about it Would the whole thing change. Probably. I don't really know. It's one of those like chicken or egg questions, because when we got there, we would we still be just asking the same question since we would ourselves be different. It's hard to say. But it's fun. Yeah, definitely high, high octane psychedelic speculation. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I said, would only the, the air signs be asking these questions? <laughs> I've got a, a moon in Libra myself since we're talking about the moon. <laughs> Where's your sun? I'm an Aries sun, Leo ascendant. That's Fire. why I got the hair. This is the main character hair. You know what I'm saying? Totally. You <laughs> definitely have major Leo character hair. I mean, I'm curious to know what your take on it is because it's such a profound question. Do you think it's only our collective agreement that creates astrology? Or do you think there's something of its own accord, you know, that's programming us? I am going to go the root of it is both. <laughs> it is not either or, not a binary, non-binary situation. Uh, one of the things that you said or came up in one of your recent shows, um, the consciousness podcast you do that with the other guy, I uh, can't remember his name right now, but it was said like talking about non-dual philosophy and how funny it is that, or I thought it was funny that the very phrase non-dual creates binary in and of itself. I've always thought that when people come at me with like dualism is illusion and I'm just like, well, did you notice that you can't even talk about that without continuing to perpetuate dualism? I mean, it's something intrinsic about the makeup of this place that polarity exists, but you can go the hermetic route and look at things as not really opposites, but just one thing and it's lack. And I find that to be really important because if you take it all the way, then it disempowers the devil because <laughs> the devil becomes not another God, but actually just the lack of God and it be, the, thus becomes non-existent. In, uh, and then you've actually created your, your non-dual state when you go the hermetic um, rectification of the idea of opposites. I polarities. Like, um, I'm not sure that, that, that duality isn't something that we can't evolve out of and that we're not being invited to evolve out of. And even in terms of the phrase non-duality, like full disclosure, um, I've historically had some paranoid conspiratorial tendencies in my thinking, but I wonder if that wasn't infected and co-opted from the get-go, you know, because that, that phrase itself, non-dual, is necessarily fragmenting. You know, it's the same as the word infinite. It's the same as the word limitless, unlimited, right? They're tainted with limitation and finite in their very articulation. And this goes back to, you know, the inquiry that I mentioned earlier, which is like, was English always like that? Or did nefarious forces come in 
and co-opt it. And that is, you know, I have some suspicions about the whole non-dual realm conversation. Who knows? But I really, there is a part of me that feels like um, we're being invited to evolve out of the illusion of duality. I'm with you there. I guess what I would say about it is that duality is apparent, but philosophically non-existent. <laughs> but then also the issue is that people mix up that idea of polarity and uh, the hermetic idea of per- polarity being just the thing and the lack of the thing rather than two things with uh, gender and gender is all kinds of a whole different thing, whole different question. But uh, I think to answer that question, why I brought up the God devil examples, I think that is the origin of it. When Vatican came along and did their whole mafia takeover <laughs> long ago, however long ago, I think they lied to us about how long ago, not as long as they say, right. uh, but they, they refuse to acknowledge the hermetic roots of their entire system by leaving this concept of God and devil entrenched as a, as they're like adversarial to one another. And thus creating a second God out of what should have been a, like the original Trinity three and one God um, and acknowledge the destroyer aspect as also the preserver aspect because life comes from death and all that. Another way of undoing the apparent duality of life and death, because, you know, that's one of the most basic ones that people struggle with. And it's evident in nature that you have to have that part of the cycle for the life to continue. Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited for humanity to outgrow our distorted relationship to death and decay. And like, not every death is actually a tragedy. Like, yes, it's sad to let things go and it's inevitable. Um, I'm reading the, the, I'm on the fourth book in the right use of will series. Now, have you read those books? No, I have not. So they're channeled and allegedly channeled from G Daddy himself, and they're all about. Is that uh, Paul Selig? Uh, Sandra Roham. Okay. Yeah. Although I did, I was just gifted two Paul Selig books. He's he's very upright now. Um, but in in this this series, God is basically taking us through like the origins of creation and like his and kind of so. In his perspective, there was God, the mother, the father of manifestation and heart. Um, But we make it the Trinity to like X the mother out of it. And these books are about like the neuroses in the in the interpersonal relating between all of them and how we as above, so below are living those and are now being tasked to clear them up, you know, for all of capital L life. And in that, in that series, the devil or Lucifer is, is not God's polar opposite. It's God's denial. Um, and it is just the representation of all those, you know, all the shadows, just like you asked me earlier, the shadows that we're not willing to look at, that we're not willing to take responsibility for, that we're not willing to move through because we're in denial. So from that perspective, again, it, it takes it away from that dualistic, like, like creator destroyer thing, um, which really has me wondering, like, what will this realm be like when we move through our denial? You know, does evil have to exist? I'm not really sure. Maybe it's something we can transcend. Yeah, I always just look at that as the inversion of live. <laughs> live, live is evil is live backwards, right? Yeah. Uh, they think too. Once we rectify our relationship to death, which would also be the destroyer aspect of the Trinity, then we realize that that's the redeemer. Just like the sun kills all life at a certain point in the year, only to resurrect it all and preserve life. It's all part of the same cycle and uh, helpful to not be in denial that (laughs) that part of the cycle exists and is necessary and healthy for our wholeness. And yeah, that Trinity thing exists everywhere. And in most places, they didn't cut out the mother and call it a ghost. So <laughs> right. I'm down to uh, I'm down to have a better relationship with the the mother myself. And luckily, I do. Ha- I think that that's been part of what has empowered me was when I healed that relationship in internally. Not that uh, I always had a great mom externally. So maybe that helped. 
But I want to talk about, um, there's a lot of things I want to talk about. Let's actually make sure, though, that we give a good chunk of space here for our free audience for you to really talk about the uh, the benefits of your coaching services and maybe like a success story or something. I always like those. Since okay. Solutions are so helpful. Yeah, solutions are really helpful. So um, I am a transformational coach. So I use, I call it my 5D ear to sort of hone in on the, the gaps and the chasms between, you know, what we're saying we want and how our lives are actually manifesting or, you know, where are we full of shit? Where are we kidding ourselves? Um, and I've recently kind of expanded into the language of healing where I've been working locally in New Mexico with people who've received cancer diagnoses as I was, you know, beta testing this new program. So the two success stories that are coming to mind, um, one is I have a client who's in full remission and we've been breaking down like where he was playing small and how that contributed to this healing opportunity that he manifested for himself. So after, you know, we got, we got his health in the clear, um, we've been moving him deeper into being brave and bold in his career, right? And really putting himself out there as a thought leader in ways that, you know, he hadn't been doing before so that he's fully expressed. Um, so that's a really beautiful one. That's a client I'm working with now. Another one is a, a woman who, you know, she had all these dreams about being like a financial trader and going really big with her business. Um, and since, you know, we, we did a three-month package, since then she's like trading like a badass and she's having so much fun and really like riding the financial waves and like so confident and like amazing with her boundaries. You know, I'm, I'm, I love working with people who want to be bolder, right? Who want to step into more expansive realms of, of their own potential, of their own embodiment, um, and helping them know their sovereignty, their boldness, their badassness, you know, all of those things. So those are the two that come to mind. Those are really good ones. I, I mean, they'll never tell you at the uh, death factory, <laughs> AKA hospital that <laughs> you're, language has something to do with the way that your body heals, but they will, you know, they will mention, Oh, that natural homeopathy, homeopathy cure that you just asked me about. That's all placebo effect as if they've described it all, what it is by giving it a name. And now we can shut the book on that particular question of what is it? Yeah, totally. I mean that I do my best to not completely slag the Western medical paradigm because the language of healing. I just did. <laughs> that was probably a little brutal. <laughs> It was spot on, you know, that as I've been working with people who are really in the cancer industrial complex, I realize how toxic the languaging is. And I, I don't think that, you know, healers or health practitioners are doing it on purpose. I think that for the most part, they're well intended. But the problem with that system is that it's so litigious that it is always going to defer to saving its own ass over serving the patient's well-being. And those two are in conflict because they need to tell everyone worst case scenarios so that they won't be sued. But what they're doing is they're cursing people and they're saying this will happen and this is the worst thing and you can expect this. And it's all with this definitive languaging that is programming people who are in a very vulnerable state, right? And we have this weird thing in our hierarchical culture of putting doctors on pedestals, right? These are authority figures who know my body better than I do. And so it's very easy you know, to allow their words to have power over us. And every word that they say is programming our body. And then, you know, the clients that I've been working with, they, they're looping on these fear and how bad is it and what's this bad thing instead of seeing, you know, whatever's expressing through the body is neutral communications, right? And just it's just super simple. Like, what is the communication and what is the body inviting? And if we take the panic and the judgment and the fear about it, like what is the corrective action we're being invited to take and how can we program the body for swift accelerated healing, you know, while we're going through these initiations, which they are, you know, they're initiations for anyone who's walking a path that's, you know, kind of witchy or mystical. We're called to go inside to learn ourselves, right? 
Um, and oftentimes that's through like discomfort or an injury or dis-ease or whatnot. And the gist is to look at it from a place of neutrality to frame these as initiations and to learn, you know, how to language the experience in such a way that we're programming the body to heal as quickly and easily as possible. I, in my experience, everything you just said is completely testable and verifiable, yet it is described by mainstream as being woo-woo, fluffy, impossible, placenta, or, uh, placenta another Freudian slip, placebo. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, if you want to laugh, do a, a DuckDuckGo search for Wikipedia and pseudoscience, and you will just see a list of like the greatest healing modalities, the coolest mystical shit, and it's all just marginalized as pseudoscience with like a flick of the wrist. I remember the day that I realized that, oh, we're just playing opposite day. That's the game. It's opposite day. So whatever they told you, it's probably the opposite. <laughs> and it makes sense because of the whole paradigm of these uh, fake authorities are based on the schisming and uh, holding on to of a literal dualism that is completely conceptual since all things being mental in the first place. And it, you know, I, like I've mentioned in the intro, I do tunings for people with giant tuning fork <laughs> and, and smaller tuning forks. Right. And it, in that uh, it's really, really crucial and important to heal the divide uh, between any part of yourself and any other part of yourself. In fact, the, and, and the idea that I'm able to do those remotely demonstrates the conceptual nature of all forms of division, particularly distance, separation, all mental constructs, all Leela or Maya. And unfortunately, that particular Maya is the mother of monsters. Division is. It's not, you know, it's not the type that at all promotes what whenever we even say healing, like I've been doing my best to rephrase to wholeness. I call it healing. Same. Pulling. Yeah. There you go. We're just taking, and it's the same, you know, in terms of fragmentation or as you say, schisming, you know, it's another big part of my coaching work is like honing in on these fragments, right? And getting, you know, finding them, illuminating them, and then supporting clients and going back and inviting them to come back. You know, it's the same that shamans call soul retrieval. And, you know, it's what I call holing. We're just collecting all these pieces so that they're not, you know, freaking out and creating conflict and, um, you know, contraction when we're when we have clear goals and, and things that we want to do here. But it's hard when we have these fragmented parts that are running these outdated belief systems or that are, you know, running these erroneous tracks and storylines. And the gist is finding them and bringing them back. And that's what I find so odd. This is, this is kind of a non sequitur for our conversation, but in terms of like cancel culture and trying to make it like trying to outlaw being triggered. And it's like, well, if we're not triggered, then how are we going to find these pieces of ourselves to come back? If I trigger someone, I'm like, you're welcome. You're welcome for that. <laughs> yeah, man. The obstacle is the way. Be grateful for the obstacles. They illuminate your path. And otherwise you'd just be like, what do I do? Where do I go? I guess nothing. You brought, you talked about goals and I've had, you know, it took me a long time to finally get here and start it up. But over the past, like probably six months consistently, I've had an incredible success with simply writing down goals and certain goals, like regularly journaling is cool. And with my journal, I, in the margins every day, I'll write things like, thank you spirit team for bringing me new clients this week. And yeah. I've noticed and I'm tracking it in the journal itself that the days when or uh, the weeks when I can I'm consistently doing that, especially for weeks on end, uh, my calendar is just filled up with people that were able to help each other in a really beautiful reciprocal way. And then when I lapse on doing that particular part of the journal, which is just one sentence, it takes five seconds and I do it every day. But when I lapse on that, I notice that the client's begin to trickle and, and decline, not like go away. I won't use that language, but it's definitely empowering just to have a simple goal setting in language that you put onto paper. And anyway, can you talk about hacks to use language for <laughs> goals and dreams and, you know, maybe the importance of that and inspiration of that? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I love that you have that practice and that you've honed in on uh, on how important it is to be consistent in what happens when you're not. That's that's beautiful. I love that. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I see in my clients, and I also teach homeschoolers. I teach them how to use language to create reality, and I teach them about propaganda and critical thinking. And um, I think one thing that, you know, we're still developing as humans is uh, the mastery of knowing what we want and being able to ask for it, right? So I'll teach people these tools, and sometimes, like, what takes the most work is helping people dream biggest and hone in on what they actually want. And I think that that's something that used to come easier to us, but because of whatever our indoctrination is, it's become trickier. So I'm a big fan of using um, present tense positive languaging in claiming whatever it is that we want. So as you're saying, you know, as I'm calling in three new clients this month, it's speaking about it as with definitive languaging and it's already happening. I love my clients. I love, you know, how they show up for their assignments and how enthusiastic they are. And I really see these shifts happening so quickly, you know, and speaking about these things in the present tense, not putting them off in the future with I want or maybe someday or I hope or, you know, to bring them here and to claim them with confidence, you know. So a lot of times I'm working with clients about what they want and I'll be like, I don't know, like maybe it'd be cool to have a partner. And I'm like, okay, I want you to relanguage it again with confidence and with excitement about how much you love your relationship and how, how do you feel in this relationship? You know, and what is, what is your partner reflecting back to you? What are you creating together? And how are you spending your time, you know, to really get into the energy of what we want. And once it's already been achieved, well, then now what? You know, so another piece is to jump out ahead of it. Okay, you've already accomplished your goal. Now what? You know, jump five, you know, five goals out from that. Now what are you creating? You know, and to really play with collapsing the perceived distance between future and now and languaging these things accordingly. That is beautiful. <laughs> I'm thinking of one time a long time ago, I had... um I did an experiment that actually kind of turned me off to the idea that you could do this type of almost like linguistic programming manifestation. And I realize now that it was because of how I structured it and um, distanced myself from, from it being reality in terms of the way I was doing it. And so, you know, and what's cool is we'll continually always be finding more ways that, Oh, I was limiting here. Oh, this was limiting there. And instead of beating yourself up for it, again, obstacles are the way. And just as soon as you notice it, also, I think help. it's helpful to recognize that there is always more beyond. There is always further to go. I don't have a better word for infinite, maybe endless. Omniscopic. What's that? Omniscopic. Oh, there you go. Omniscopic. Yeah. <laughs> so in that sense of a limitless omniscopic self, then embrace and have joy in the idea that you'll continue to improve and that you'll always find more and that you keep expanding and that that's what life does. It keeps on going. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I love that you brought that in because I mean, I've been playing with this languaging um, paradigm for a while and I'm still in the process of mastering. Right. And so it's noticing a lot of times when we're calling something in is even just like how many words are we stacking in front of ourselves and what our dream is. And though, you know, however many words indicates our reticence, right? And a lot of times, you know, we might know the optimal languaging upgrade, right? But it doesn't feel emotionally resonant to say it, right? If I say, um, you know, I am with my soulmate living in my dream house, and saying that makes me feel like I want to cry, that's a breadcrumb, right? Like, that's great. That's showing me, okay, there's an erroneous belief system in there. There's a fragmented part of me that isn't willing to sign on to that. And this is showing me, okay, go do some integration work, you know? So it's also using the language not to barrel over things in some like the secret, magical, you know, spiritual bypass way. It's also using the languaging upgrades to find the cracks and to find, oh, this 
I still need to do a little bit of integration here. That's great for me to know. Let me go do some healing, do some acknowledgement, you know, let me cry and scream and whatever. And then I'll come back to this and then collapse that distance. So yeah, it's a process. It's going to be a process because we chose to take incarnation in this dense reality. And, you know, there's a lot of cleanup work that we're still doing. Yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, (laughs) Humans treat themselves like they're the top of a totem pole of sorts. But in another sense, this realm is the bottom floor of the ocean. <laughs> I mean, we're underwater right now. There's limitless miles of ether above and we can continually rise up, which I believe fully is our natural inclination when not uh, retarded by external forces or internal um, sabotage, <laughs> which end up being one in the same because you do the internal and then it comes to you in the external. and that. It's like our mutual friend, Michael Wan put into my head, which is so beautiful and helpful. Ask yourself, is this situation, the outside world leading my inner world or am I leading the outer world through my inner world? Mm. And I was going to wear my Susquehanna alchemy shirt for this talk, but then I found that it had been utilized as a cat puke receptacle, which, you know, that's great too. I didn't, uh, so, go ahead. I didn't realize those shirts were multifunctional. <laughs> apparently so. Yeah, apparently so. It was very attractive to the kitty. Again? I said your cat has great taste. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'd uh, like also to turn people on in the last five minutes or so that we have in the free hour to your podcast work, the different shows that you're a part of, not just Word Up, but all of what you're doing online that serves as free and accessible content or content that can be received for reciprocity to you. And, you know, maybe something particularly exciting or events, anything that might be uh, worth tuning people into before we wrap up free hour here. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, So yes, I do. There's my podcast word up with Danny Katz. Um, and that features interviews with visionaries and original thinkers. And we're focused on solutions, best case scenarios, alternate timelines, what's wonderful and how can we make it more wonderful. I do a podcast with Emily Moyer, which is uh, Deep Truth with Do Valley Girls. <laughs> We've most recently been unpacking the uh, Santa Fe Institute Lifeboat Foundation Consilience Project op. That's been super fun um, slash creepy. I have um, oodles of free video content. I have a series called Words Are Matter, which features free quantum linking hacks. Um, I do planetary service announcements, which are more cultural criticism. I have a new show I've been doing called Spot the Propaganda, which is just, you know, illuminating the propaganda in popular media. And just last week, I taught a webinar. Our friend Michael Wan was there. Uh, the language of healing and it's a two hour webinar, which has been recorded and is now available for folks to buy and watch online. And that breaks down the precepts of the language of healing and how to program our bodies for optimal health, vitality and vibrancy. That is awesome. (laughs) One of your recent shows that I really particularly enjoyed was Mike coming on two months in a row. You, (laughs) You can, that guy is so on the cutting edge of, consciousness that there is no last week to him he's like like you could talk to him one hour later and it would be a whole different conversation i mean that's true for everybody but he never runs out he never runs out of steam i love that that show was hilarious because the first show i did with michael was two hours we stopped recording and we talked for another two hours and and it was like okay we need to do the next show sooner than later and even just just yesterday, I texted him and I was like, I just noticed this thing and it seems super pressing. So I feel like as I'm, you know, I, I just launched my podcast in April. It seems like there's going to be some people who are going to come on. You know, I, I've interviewed Robert Phoenix twice and Guru Singh's coming back on. So I think I'm going to have like kind of a rotating home crew and then, um, you know, some other special guests. Antero Ali is dropping later this week and... Um, yeah, it's been it's been fun. I just love dropping in with people with really expansive, vibrant 
minds and, you know, just tasting of their brilliance and seeing like you and I are doing, like, what is the alchemy of our energy? And, you know, what, what comes when we drop in together? Well, you know, if you ever want to get a guest spot filled, I like to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Any closing uh, thoughts and words of wisdom? Loose threads to tie up for our free listeners before we move over to the Rockfin side. I'm going to drop a link, everybody, to that. And we'll have a musical interlude with a countdown timer. So you'll have plenty of opportunity to hop over to the stream there or join me on Patreon and catch the replay, which I will get posted as soon as possible. Cool. Um, I, You know, the message that I that I I tend to share on on podcasts is just for people to know that like we're making it all up. And so for everyone listening, like you have the right to author your story, however you want to as, as kind, as fun, as compassionate, as abundant, you know, as healthy as you want to. And it really is as simple as, you know, how are we languaging these things? And so, you know, tune into my videos, you know, see how it all resonates. I'd love to work with you. I'd love to support you in being your most empowered, realized, badass, awesome self. I love all of that. I think there's no mistake that the ancients conceptualized the source as logos. Definitely not a mistake with that. Or that in the scale of musical notes, the throat chakra through which we speak is the G generative principle, the seven, you know, like all of that. It's in every aspect of the, multidimensional reality of infinite correspondence, <laughs> omniscopic correspondence. I like it. <laughs> so that is a 50 cent word, as Mike says. Yeah, you get the quantum languaging brownie badge for the day. <laughs> Sweet. All right, I'm going to hit the music. I hope a lot of you guys hop over to the Rockvin side. You know, YouTube's no fun compared to the free speech that we are uh, always able to do, but more encouraged to do on places like Rockfin. So I'll see you all there. And um, thank you, Danny. This has been a fun first hour. Can't wait to go deeper. Thanks, Chance.